All right, it's New Year's weekend. Let's get it going. Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Very solid hour coming up. In fact, we got so much, I think we're going to have our first two segments as full market updates because there's a lot going on. Also on the way, you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, you're retired. There are things that you can do incorrectly each decade that will affect your retirement planning. We're going to talk about that, how to avoid it. Ask Annex Dave Spano, by the way, another TikTok financial planning oh question. Oh, goodness, Not TikTok. Can't, good can't, Lord. Can't wait for that. And if your plan is to stay in the house that you're at, yeah, that's aging in place. Dan Phillips will be here to talk about it. There's a whole lot more going on, but let's get to it. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. And of course, you know, this is the time of year that you look back and uh, we're, we're going to look forward as well. But, you know, I just wrote down some notes of what we saw last year, and it was amazing amount of news that came out. And we'll remember back in January when we were pounding the table about inflation is not transitory inflation hit seven percent and that was a four decade high and that continued to be the story throughout the year it certainly was as was the fed's response to it because at the beginning of the year dave as you recall they only thought they'd raise interest rates once in 2022 and obviously that was not the case they've raised interest rates many more times than that and they continue to believe they're going to have to raise rates in 2023 yeah so we'll have to watch that story and i start with that because that'll be a story that continues into 2023 and of course following the that February 24th, Russia invades Ukraine, and that continues to be a story. And maybe we'll see what happens in 2023 if there's some type of ceasefire, but we'll watch that story again in 2023 because of the effects that it has on energy around the world. And it certainly aggravated the inflationary situation, because prior to that, Chairman Powell had contended inflation was going to be transitory. But when you take oil off the market, restrict wheat supplies and the rest, that led to an inflationary spiral. It has begun to unwind, but it's taken a long, lot longer than the Fed thought. And we talked about inflation perhaps peaking, and we'll see that. We probably saw that in 2022. We'll have to see with the data supports that in 2023. And of course, March 16th was the Fed's first rate hike, as you identified, and there was many more to follow. Followed by March 31st, Derek, it was the worst quarterly performance in two years, and it was just a precursor of what we were going to see throughout the year. Moving to April 25th, Musk buys Twitter, continues to be a story, will be a story into 2023. June 15th, the Fed goes and raises by 75 basis points. Again, the second hike, and and again, they were hitting it hard. Well, it was the largest increase in interest rates since 1994. They were behind the curve. We talked about it a number of times that the two-year yield was well above where the Fed funds rate was. And historically, what the Fed does is they respond to that two-year yield, and they have responded in kind. And of course, that was only the second rate hike of many more to come. Moving along, we get to June 30th. The S&P now down 21%, the worst since 1970. It's been a bloodbath. Well, the good news is it hasn't gone any lower than it did at the end of June. I mean, we're still down about 20% for the year. And one of the reasons it looks like that is we peaked on the first week of the year. So end point to end point, we were down 20. The one thing I will point out is while the S&P is down 20% for the year, it's up 7 
7% over the last three years and 9% over the last five. So it's all about endpoint sensitivity and still sticking with your plan despite recent weakness. And we're going to do an update in early January, and we're going to show that, of course. We're going to show the S&P performance, and while 2022 is going to go down as a real ugly one, to Derek's point, we're going to show what has happened in 21 and 20 and 19 and 18 and so forth. And as you point out, that will be the end point. Moving on to, of course, what happened in the UK, which certainly had effects around the world. Boris Johnson exits on July 7th, and that was just the beginning of the story in the UK. Well, the UK has been really hammered by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Electricity prices are off the charts. Uh, The slowdown they're seeing there is much more severe than what we're seeing in the United States. The British pound got walloped. And essentially, Europe is is much more likely to fall into a recession in 2023 than the United States is. And we'll have to see, you know, a lot of people are forecasting a recession in 23. However, some of the Fed forecasters are saying that could go into 2024. So that'll be a story that we talk about again in 2023. But Boris uh, Johnson leaving was just the beginning of that story. Of course, Liz Truss comes in as the new PM and she talks about tax cuts. She had a shorter history than that one pope that was only around for a little bit. And now an Oxford graduate and Stanford MBA graduate, Risha Sunak is now the PM. We'll see if if he makes it through 2023. And that brings us, of course, to the end of September. And we have more to talk about from that point. Holy cow. Yeah. 2022, don't let the screen door hit you other way out, right? See you later. Yeah, there's a lot. Folks, we can do it. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Do you think you need some help in 2023? We can do it. Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Why not hit the ground running in 2023? It doesn't take long. Let's talk. What are the challenges on the way to retirement as we move through life? 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even in retirement. We're going to take a look at some and offer some advice on avoiding mistakes. That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. What are the challenges on the way to retirement as we move through life? Your 20s, your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even in retirement. We're going to take a look and offer some advice on avoiding mistakes next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, kind of a year-end show, looking back at 2022, looking ahead at 2023. Very busy. This show is going to be on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel at the top of the hour if you want to catch it again. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Dave Spano is President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Yeah, thanks, Danny. I just want to continue along our timeline. Of course, the end of September when Hurricane Ian hit and those effects continue to hit southwest. West Florida. Uh, that story will continue into 2023. And of course, that brings us to October 27th, when we saw a GDP report that was positive. Right. Well, we had, had two negative uh, GDP quarters prior to that, which some people suggest is a technical recession. We really didn't believe that because the labor market was so strong. I mean, how can you have a recession when unemployment is at 3.6%? That didn't make a whole lot of sense. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're talking about real terms. That's after inflation is, is deducted. So nominally, we grew. It just We just didn't grow as, as quick a rate as inflation did. And let me just jump in. Some of that GDP report certainly came from exports, and that was a story that wasn't really covered. We were depleting our strategic petroleum reserve, and that had a positive impact on GDP. Right. And, you know, now the uh, SPR is at its lowest level in four decades, so that's going to need to be replenished in 2023. And it looks like Q4 GDP is going to be up as well. So this this most awaited recession in history, as you've mentioned any number of times, uh, awaits theoretically, uh, but we'll see. 
you know, and that's going to determine where equities go in 2023. And so now we move, of course, until 11-8, which was the midterm elections, November 8th, and it wasn't the red wave, as everyone talked about. You know, it was a relentless story that we did here that did not develop, and I guess that's a takeaway. Sometimes the stories get pounded down and then they don't turn out to be, and that might be the story with the recession as well. Moving to a rail strike that was averted in early December, China retracting from some of their COVID policies, that will have an impact on our economy. Absolutely. I mean, you're already hearing about the Chinese people making airline reservations, lots of pent-up demand, just like we saw in the United States. And in my mind, it's very possible that that could be a partial offset to the economic weakness the Fed is trying to generate. It's going to help some international companies that sell overseas. It will boost demand for certain products. So perhaps we can, you know, Powell will be able to thread the needle and generate a shallow recession, which if that's the case, the equity markets are looking more and more attractive. And so there was a story that I read uh, earlier this week, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, it talked about Powell is going to have some sobriety that started in 2022, and as we go into the New Year's weekend, that might be some of the story is that they're taking the punch bowl away. That might be the biggest story of the year, of course, is a move away from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. Right, and quantitative tightening has a lag effect. We've talked about it, the Fed's aware of it. Uh, We've also seen the money supply uh, grow much more slowly than it had in the past. So there's a lot of negative headwinds that is facing the economy. And that's one of the reasons why we, you know, we look at stocks, we look at the economy, but they're not the same thing. Because in many cases, you could look back in history, six months before the economy and corporate earnings bottom out, the stock market starts to rally, which is why right now, as we enter 2023, I think you really want to be relatively neutral and use opportunities on, on weakness to add risk exposure. And part of that is being nimble. Set it and forget it certainly is not going to work because of the sea change from quantitative easing when all boats were floated with cheap interest rates and and free money to quantitative tightening. Now the work has to be done, and that is really the important story is, of course, what do you do with your asset allocation, and are you communicating with your financial advisor? As we've mentioned, high-quality bonds look relatively attractive. Certainly, uh, there are alternatives now with interest rates significantly higher. Uh, We mentioned the case for small caps where valuations are very attractive. We've also talked about the oil stocks a lot, free cash flow and the rest. And oil prices, I mean, think of it this way. The energy stocks were up 61% last year and crude oil was basically flat. What's going to happen to those energy stocks if crude oil actually goes up in 2023 as Chinese demand increases? That's right. And of course, again, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve has got to be refilled as well. You know, for 20 years, Danny, we used to take a a fun shot at where we think the S&P 500 was going to go, but I can tell you, we reviewed a number of those, and nobody was in the ballpark this this past year. So somebody had 5,100. Right. Some people I mean, were 3,800. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about this a little bit. Your batting average hasn't been bad. I'm not going to put you on the spot, yeah. but it's it's well. It's it's a, I'll tell you how we do it: is we look at the S&P 500 earnings, and we we multiply that by a reasonable number. And so, if the expectation just for rough numbers is around 220 dollars today, does that continue to happen and what multiple are you willing to put on that if you take a reasonable multiple we're probably somewhere near a reasonable valuation where we are today Derek felski our chief investment officer remains so does dave spano president and ceo of annex wealth management busy show today we are glad you're here hit the ground running in 2023 and happy new year this is money talk the annex wealth management show for new year's day we're going to be right back on 92.5 fox news 
and Happy New Year. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, December 31st. We are going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, a team segment with Keith Butler, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Keith, welcome back. Oh, great to be here, Danny. Some of my best learning happens when I make mistakes, and there are plenty. (laughs) I spotted an article titled, The Biggest Money Mistakes by Decade, and it was about decisions we make or don't make during each decade of life. Keith, you've worked with a lot of clients. You've seen a lot of their behavior. Let's talk about each phase of those lives and see if we can find some way to avoid the mistakes, and we're going to flip it around to the positive talk about how to properly handle these phases. And the first one, and I guess this is really more on parents, we can blame our parents on this one, happens during childhood. And that's when we miss opportunities to educate. Yeah, I think a lot of emphasis these days is on financial literacy. And that can't start too early. I remember when I was a little kid, I just said, well, what do you mean you can't afford it? Just write a check. Eight years old or something that you don't know how it works. And teaching kids how it works, I think, is probably the biggest thing you can do you know, early on in life. And as you get into your teens, when all of a sudden you may start to get a job and get your own checking account. But how does all of that work? You need to have the money to pay the credit card. You, yeah. All these things, which seem obvious after years and years of doing this, aren't necessarily obvious at that age. Let's move to the 20s. And this is interesting because we were talking off air about one of the suggestions, and it was choose a major with ROI, return on investment. You aren't on board with that. I'm not. I think that there's been some notion, some movement, for lack of a better word, over time to equate colleges with trade schools. I think there's a, a real value to a college education. And to take a little bit of a step back, and this, I guess, really has to start in the teens, not the 20s, as you're making this decision. Do more people than necessary go to college? And it's probably true. There are a lot of people who go to college that probably aren't that interested in it, and, and maybe they think, I'm supposed to do it. Those are my expectations. But I think there has to be a real honest reckoning with what are your talents? What are your interests? But for folks that can benefit from a college education are interested in it, I think they pay dividends down the road that you can't really measure in dollars and cents. I'm not necessarily agreeing with the notion that you need to look at college as something where you get a return on the investment. If it's strictly a trade type school, then then yes, of course. And also, as far as the debt coming out, that is something that also has to be reckoned with, and that may feed into the decision of where you go to college. I know people in their 50s that are still carrying student debt. That's a rough one. Talking about addressing money mistakes we make by decades, we're now into our 30s, and we're talking about misplaced spending. Fancy cars, boats, toys, Mm -hmm. vacations, that's fine, but you got to take care of the important stuff first. Exactly. And this is where I'm going to take a little bit of a step back of why we're having this discussion altogether is we work with a lot of people. We work with high net worth folks, but we also work with ordinary people, if you will. I meet with these folks all the time when they're getting ready to do their financial plan. Can we retire? That's the big question, Danny. Can we retire? And when the answer is yes, and they're thrilled, and I'm thrilled to be able to show this to them, is because they were setting themselves up decades in advance. And that's kind of the basis of this entire discussion. So when you get to the 30s, that's when it starts. Now, when we meet with some people that are in their 30s, doing their financial plan can get really speculative because you're talking about, you know, geez, what are you going to get in Social Security? Are you going to have a pinch? Well, truthfully, you'll probably change jobs a couple of times. You'll have some great things happen in your life. You'll have some challenges in your life between now and then. But it's starting to get that discipline. And that, I think, can really start in earnest. Even though you start in the beginning, in the 20s, as you mentioned, the 30s is when you really start to to do that. Start to think ahead about, okay, let's get some discipline with our 401k plan, with our saving and our investing. 
let's roll into the 40s because it's kind of sort of the same story. Not yeah. enough saving and investing. And it's hard for a lot because your family is growing probably and there's lots of things to pay for. Exactly. And this is the 40s are kind of the tweeners because in the 30s, it's incredibly speculative. On the 50s, you can see it. And in the 40s, that's that transition sure. period between retirement is this bizarre concept for old people to, oh, wow, I need to start thinking about this. And yeah, it is a lot of the same issues as in the 30s. Your kids are getting older, they're getting more expensive, and then you kind of have to balance all of that with a good financial plan and a realistic view of how much you can be spending. Talking about addressing money mistakes we make by decades with Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, into the 50s. Too much for the kids, not enough for you. Yeah, there you go. And that is when you should really start the plan in earnest because it's not as completely speculative. Now you have a better idea because if you've been doing these right things in your 30s and 40s, now you're starting to get a little bit of accumulation because 30s, it might be, well, Jesus, just... X dollars. That's that's not very much. No, but it multiplies and it multiplies. And then when you're 50s, you're like, oh my goodness, this is turning into something. So this is when you have to start weaning your kids off the the um, the dole, if the you, dole. so to speak, yeah. so to speak, if you possibly can. Again, everybody's circumstances are different, and if you're doing the right things for them, then now they're getting into their and all the things we were talking about before of your mistakes. Those are the things, the good advice that you should be imparting to them into the 60s when the finish line is kind of in view, mm-hmm. retirement planning fails, maybe not even planning at all. Right. As I mentioned earlier, and we've talked about many times, the plan is all these things coming together. It's income, it's spending habits, it's the nature of your savings. So you want to make sure this is when you start thinking about risk management, okay, because you can be very aggressive you know, when you're younger because you have a long time frame. Again, if you're doing things right, and unless you know life throws you some bad curveballs, you're not going to be relying on those savings right then and there. And you can invest more aggressively because downturns like we've had this year, you can withstand and come out just fine. And then 70s and beyond, you can't outrun inflation or right. debt. Right. Again, another always be looking at your risk tolerance and maybe you're dialing back the risk, especially if you have a plan that is, looks successful on paper, is successful. You don't necessarily need to run up the score. And at that point in time, you don't necessarily need to take the risk. Keith, bottom line, get with Annex Wealth Management no matter where you are on the journey. We can guide you to avoid some of these mistakes and get you pointed in the right direction. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning, know the difference. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Bottom of the hour, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Know the difference? It's time for Ask Annex. Got a question for us? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask button. And as always, if we can help you, just look for that Get Started button in the studio. Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hello. Hello, Danny. And over to Matt Morsey, investment team manager and a CFP. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. Got a couple good ones. First one is from Tony. I've worked in public service my entire career and will receive a nice pension. I haven't done much retirement planning, but saw this on TikTok and it seems too easy. What are your thoughts? To determine income needs in retirement, subtract pension and Social Security, then divide that by .04. Boom. Financial plan. (laughs) Sounds real easy. (laughs) I mean, I strongly discourage anybody taking financial planning advice from TikTok, 
But the rule of thumb is, you know, you, you shouldn't be taking more than 4% out of your portfolio if you wanted to last your lifetime. That's that 4% rule. So quick rule of thumb is you can multiply your annual spending by 25. That's what your savings should be in order to withdraw 4% out of your account per year. But it's way more complex than that. Yeah. And he mentions he wants to determine his income needs. Well, your income needs are based on your spending. Remember a couple of weeks ago, somebody saw on TikTok that you maybe should get a baby a credit card. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this would be the second strike. <laughs> Don't get your financial advice from TikTok. Exactly. Yeah. Next one is from Ken. What is a Santa Claus rally? Yeah, great question, Danny. And, and thanks, Ken, for p- putting that in there. This is one of those things that I always kind of find funny. As, as you look through the calendar year, there's different months or, or weeks or time periods that you could rhyme different things off and, and get to whether or not the market should go up or down during that time period. But when looking at those, the Santa Claus rally, which is loosely defined as the last five trading days of the year and the first of the next two, historically have actually worked out really well. Since 1950, that time period has been on up on average 1.3% over that seven days and up 75% of the time, which when you look at a normal seven-day trading period, the average is up 0.24%. So you're getting an extra 1% over a week of trading, which is which is pretty spectacular. And it's only up 58% of the time normally. So historically, it's actually worked out really well. You never really know why these things kind of happen the way that they do, but the kind of general thoughts is that that week between Christmas and New Year's and going into the year is many people take off during that time period. So you have low volumes during that time period. It doesn't take as much to move the market as it normally does, but you also have a lot of hopeful and optimistic thoughts with Christmas going on, New Year's, the anticipation for the next year. You know, I would think in a year like this where it's been a pretty negative year that people are looking for something optimistic. So maybe we do get one, maybe we don't. And it also sometimes can be self-fulfilling. It usually goes up during this time period, so I'm going to buy because it usually goes up, and then it goes up, and then people start to you know extrapolate that over time. But it's always one of those funny ones to look at. Next up from Ed, with short-term rates higher than long-term rates, why wouldn't I only buy shorter ones? That's the problem with the inverted yield curve, right? It is, it is. And when you have a one- or two-year treasury that's earning more than a 10-year treasury, we get that question a lot. And a couple of things that we look at is, well, first of all, what's your reinvestment risk? Which is essentially that if you invest for one or two years, you now need to find a new investment when that bond matures and what will yields look like at that point in time. With the yield curve being inverted as it is now, the market's telling you that the rates are going to be lower in the future. And so that your ability to roll it over and still be able to make up what you could get on a longer term bond right now is, is probably not going to happen. And that's that's why it's it's showing you that. Well, also, we're going into what you know we've called or what we've heard is the most anticipated recession of all time. And if that does happen to play itself out, the Fed will likely be cutting rates. And so in two years from now, when your bond matures, you're looking for something out there. If the Fed's been cutting, you're going to get something less. And ultimately, what we want to do is diversify upon that yield curve. You want to have different parts of your portfolio at different parts so that you can counteract that risk. Yeah, and what we'd like to do with clients is what we call a bond laddering. So you take different time frames and buy different maturities and bonds and, and kind of diversify that way over the duration. That's kind of a classic thing, isn't it? The bond ladder? Mm-hmm. Been around a long, long time. Our last question is from Omar. Are I-bonds still worth looking at? Sure. Currently, they're paying about 6.89%, but that will reset in May of 2023. They reset twice a year. But just keep in mind, they're not super liquid. So for the first 12 months, they are illiquid, and then they mature after five years. So, And you're only limited to buying 10000 
per year. So if you're worried about liquidity, you might want to look at other government interests, like we mentioned the treasury bonds. But if you don't need the liquidity and you can hold it five years, then it might be something to look at. Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management on Ask Annex. Thank you. You're welcome. Matt Moore is the investment team manager and a CFP. Thank you. Thank you. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. If you're going to stay in your family home, that is called aging in place. It's very common, but there's some things to consider. We'll discuss what they are next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Deanne Phillips in the studio. She's Director of Client Learning and Development, a CFP and a CDFA. Welcome back. Hi. I found a letter. Could you read this, please? This is sweet. It's a great one. So this is what it says. I'm a healthy and active widow in my late 70s. My intention is to stay in my house forever. Well, that is until a good friend visited and said, you should be moving. The house is much too big with too many stairs. Move before you have to. That jolted me since I love where I live and love my home and community. It's where my late husband and I raised our three children. After 40 years, what should I reluctantly be thinking about? That is a tough one, and I bet one that you've come across. So let's talk about it, Deanne. Downsizing or aging in place, is this something that you see much of? Oh, absolutely. Many people feel attached to their house for good reason. This is not uncommon. Memories and family have been built there, and it currently houses all our stuff. Sometimes that alone can deter somebody from moving. It seems that there are two parts to this dilemma. There's the emotional part, and that may be the more difficult one. All right, because our homes are comfort zone, and that is important, especially as we age. It's what we've built to make it not just a house, but a home. You know, we may have neighbors who are good friends and a support system. We may have put in a fantastic garden that we would be reluctantly leaving behind. I can relate to that one. And, you know, it may be in a perfect location where it's very close to other friends or family, stores, doctors, places that are important to us. And moving opens up the door to the unknown. Change is hard. Downsizing or aging in place. If you'd like to stay in your home, you're not alone. A 2022 survey found that 88% of adults 50 and older want to age in place. It was 77% in an AARP survey. Clear reasons that you see? Yes, but you know, I do have to say too, even though they want to per the surveys, doesn't mean they necessarily do. Actually over 50% of retirees do what they call right sizing. Actually do move Mm. in retirement. And you know, for a lot of them, it's the reason that all these surveys cite. People want to be closer to family, but If the family's young and mobile, they move, and we know this. And, you know, even before the pandemic, people were downsizing. And contrary to what we might think, some want extra space so they could actually be upsizing and be the ones their children and grandchildren come to for the holidays because that's what they value. Makes sense. Well, here's the rub, though. Most adults are not prepared to age in place. Danny, I have this conversation with clients all the time. Things familiar to us now while we're healthy, we don't think about it as we age. For example, we imagine that our kids will help us, but they have their own lives. And it depends upon how far away they are and how busy they are. We may be overestimating the amount of time it takes to give the kind of help we might need as we age. And not all older adults want to downsize. The pandemic served as a motivator for many to rethink lifestyle and what's important, but you need to ask questions, and there are so many of them. Well, yeah, sure. So, so for example, is 
this space right for your needs? Is it too much to maintain? And that does include that yard work, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. depending on where you live, shoveling, raking. Many times we think, ah, I'll just hire some help. But have you put that thought into budgeting and cash flow needs? Because it all can add up. If your cash flow is changing, are the house expenses manageable? Do you want to be closer to friends or family? Do you have a lot of equity in your home now locked up? And if you downsized, if that's a viable option, then would you have that money to do things that also make your soul singer make you happy, like travel? If you stop being able to drive, would transportation be an issue? Are you too isolated where you are now if you age in place? Are you close enough to what you need? And can you get there? Grocery, doctor, all those things. Here's an interesting one, though, too. Would you actually be lonely if you're there alone? And are you a better candidate for an age in place community where you have amenities and people around you? Dan, we had some friends, nice suburban home. They sold it to move to an urban setting, and they had a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Even then, after they moved, my friend said to me, you got to purge, and then you purge more, and then you need to purge further. We've lived in the same place for a while. We've got a lot of stuff. Right, and what they're describing is pre-downsizing. Now, believe me, the younger generations don't want most of our stuff. So getting rid of things now is helping them as well as helping us. You know, when you start before, Before you have to move, you're under less pressure and stress and deadlines, and you're also potentially cleaning out that storage unit while you're physically up for the task. This leaves, again, less for your loved ones. You know, it took my nephew and me three weekends to clean out dad's storage unit when he passed. Well, of course, we did spend a lot of time looking at memorabilia. That's the fun part of it. You bet. Did you see the stat? What is the average number of things we have in our house? Well, uh, yeah, this is interesting. The average home has over 300,000 items. Say that again. 300,000 items, right? And it's never too early to sift and sort, regardless of the decision to move or not. These are big steps not to be taken lightly. If it's part of your life plan, that means it's probably part of your financial plan. And that is important. You know, again, taking a look at all of your resources, what you have, what you're earning, what you're, how your investments are doing, and wrapping it all into your wants, your needs, and your values. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start that wealth metric process. Dan Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, and a CDFA at Annex. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Danny. Stand by. We're going to be back to wrap things up. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. We're back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, the end of the year show. Just for a quick reminder, 2022 year-end tax reference guide still up at AnnexWealth.com. Don't have to be a client for that. Super valuable. Download it today. Derek Felsky's in the studio. He's Chief Investment Officer, Dave Spano, President, CEO, Annex Wealth Management. You know, as we look forward, Danny, to 2023, there's a lot of backdrop for sure. But one of the things that we're all going to have to deal with is when our financial statements come out here in early January, they are not going to look pretty. Of course, the fixed income market is probably the biggest shocker of all. Uh, Derek, you showed me some numbers of what fixed income did in 2022. Well, right. At one point, I think that the 30-year Treasury was down almost 30%. And when you think about it, the more 
conservative you were, the more difficult it was because you probably had a larger allocation to fixed income. And if you didn't go a little bit off the grid in terms of looking at things like bank loans and high yield and short term credit and the rest, you really took a, had a, a bad side on that in terms of fixed income and did not provide you with the stability you'd like. But we talked about it a lot last year about picking up pennies in front of a steamroller when interest rates are close to zero or even negative. Right. There was 13 trillion in negative sovereign debt. Who the hell would want to buy a bond and pay that sovereign for the purpose of owning their paper? Right. So you look at egg, of course, and that's just an index not doing well. And as Derek just pointed out, there was places to go that certainly mitigated that. And of course, the story remains the same with the S&P 500, the 500 biggest stocks. If you look at them, the top five stocks are, of course, in the tech industry, which overweight that index dramatically. Right. And the valuations of them are not particularly attractive. Apple still trades at 26 times earnings. I mean, down significantly from where it was, but probably, you know, could warrant a multiple closer to 20. So there could be further downside in those big over-owned names, which is why, you know, you want active stock managers, active stock pickers who are going to look not just chasing, you know, index-related weightings, but actually opportunistic companies that are attractively valued that are perhaps under-owned in areas like energy or financial services and the like. You know, and they're out there. There's these passive investments called exchange-traded funds. And of course, we use them in the right spot, but it's not a one fix for everything. There is a place for passive and there's a place for active. Derek is showing us right now that active does have a place as well as an opportunity going through your portfolio and say, where can we overweight? You you go through, of course, the indices and you go through the sectors. Of course, at the top of the sectors list was energy. Right. Energy up 63%, uh, utilities flat and everybody else down, uh, which, you know, if you if you talk to people been here last year, they wouldn't have believed it. And in fact, most people would not believe that the best performing industry within energy last year was coal. Now, I don't know many people that actually like coal's prospects. Certainly Joe Biden yeah. doesn't. Yeah, not, but, not coal's the, uh, the retailer, but coal, the actual yeah. what was in the stockings. Right. And the, the, the very industry that Joe Biden wants to put out of business during the 2020 election campaign. Well, guess what? We still need coal in order to charge up those electric vehicles and the rest. So, you know, parallel paths are probably warranted. Right. So you look at what uh, 2023, you know, what will be the geopolitical story, what is going to happen with China's and the COVID cases that will come out of China in 2023, as well as what happens with Russia and Ukraine, the UK and a European perhaps recession. So geopolitical risk does remain. Of course, there will be a choppy parts of 2023. And that's the reason why you need to go through your portfolio and you need to communicate uh, with your advisor in and it probably your advisor should communicate with you, I should rather say, in more calls, more interaction, and do not set it and forget it because there's places to go in 2023. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot is, you know, tactical allocations. And, you know, we've liked dividend paying stocks. We continue to like health care because of the demographics and just the growthy characteristics and the recessionary resistant nature of that industry. Uh, we don't, We like energy. I wouldn't chase it, but we like it. And we also like technology in a sense, too, because as the economy starts to slow, one of the best ways to engineer profitability is to enhance your productivity, and technology companies help in that area. And I'm not saying buy companies that have price-to-sales ratios north of 20. I'm just talking about, you know, some mainstream software companies that provide the the infrastructure for that allow an enterprise to work. And the last piece I would say is, of course, if your financial advisor is talking about, you know, bond portfolios, and of course, they had a bad year, no doubt about it. That probably means there's an opportunity. So be careful for an advisor who says we're going to replace 
replace your fixed income portfolio with a fixed annuity, for example. So this is the time to go through your process. Make sure that you're dealing with a team, a deep team, not just a guy, a deep team that has a number of people that can help you get through this process. Which, by the way, uh, we're staffing up even bigger in 2023, and that is to meet client demand, really, because more and more people are coming to Annex Wealth Management and saying, you know what? I need the help in 2023 and beyond, and I think that's a great thing. It, it really is, and this is the time to go ahead. Happy New Year to everyone. Really appreciate you listening, and we look forward to 2023. We certainly do. Derek Felsky, have a great uh, New Year. To you as well, Dan. All right, and Dave, you as well. Healthy and happy into 2023. Can we help you? Investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning is a fee-only fiduciary. We said it all the way through 2022. We're going to say it in 2023. We can help. You know, you might make resolutions. You might not. But we can all make positive changes. Sometimes getting started is the hardest part. We're ready for you. Head to our website. Click that Get Started button. Have a fun and safe New Year's Eve tonight. We're going to be back next Saturday at 10. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.